Good morning. Today's Bible reading is from the first book of Samuel, chapter 30, verse 1 to 10, and then 16 to 25, and chapter 31, verse 1 to 10. The first is chapter 30, verse 1 to 10. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it, and they had taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Camel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. Abiathar brought it to him, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. David and the six hundred men with him came to the Beza Valley, where some stayed behind. Two hundred of them were too exhausted to cross the valley, but David and the other four hundred continued the pursuit. Now moving to verse 16 to 25. He led David down, and there they were, scattered over the countryside, eating, drinking, and reveling because of the great amount of plunder they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from Judah. David fought them from dusk until the evening of the next day, and none of them got away except 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they had taken. David brought everything back. He took all the flocks and herds, and his men drove them ahead of the other livestock, saying, this is David's plunder. Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow him and who were left behind at the Bethel Valley. They came out to meet David and the men with him. As David and his men approached, he asked them how they were. But all the evil men and troublemakers amongst David's followers said, because they did not go out with us, we will not share with them the plunder we recovered. However, each man may take his wife and children and go. David replied, no, my brothers, you must not do that with what the Lord has given us. He has protected us and delivered into our hands the raiding party that came against us. Who will listen to what you say? The share of the man who stayed with the supplies is to be the same as that of him who went down to the battle. All will share alike. David made this a statue, an ordinance for Israel from that day to this. Now moving to chapter 31, verse 1 to 10. Now the Philistines fought against Israel. The Israelites fled before them, and many fell dead on Mount Geboa. The Philistines were in hot pursuit of Saul and his sons, and they killed his sons Jonathan, Abinadab, and Melchishua. The fighting grew fierce around Saul, 
and when the archers overtook him, they wounded him critically. Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and run me through, or these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer was terrified and would not do it. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. When the armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he too fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul and his three sons and his armor-bearer and all his men died together that same day. When the Israelites along the valley and those across the Jordan saw that the Israelite army had fled and that Saul and his sons had died, they abandoned their towns and fled, and the Philistines came and occupied them. The next day, when the Philistines came to strip the dead, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Geboa. They cut off his head and stripped off his armor, and they sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim the news in the temple of the idols and among the people. They put his armor in the temple of the Ashtoreths and fastened his body to the wall of Beth Shem. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you, Maria, for reading, Kirsty, for praying. Let's keep uh, those passages open. So it's the last bit of uh, 1 Samuel, the great climax. Why don't we pray together? Father, thank you for your word. Please show us Jesus, show us the gospel, and show us what really matters, that we would follow Jesus. Uh, please speak to each of our hearts. Give me strength. Uh, make the words I say your words in all of our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. Great. Now, I don't know if you know the marshmallow experiment. I would uh, love to do that maybe in a children's talk one time. Um, Basically, what you do, you put a child in a room with a, a marshmallow. Hey, you say, uh, here's a marshmallow, and uh, in, uh, I'll go away for five minutes, and when I come back and you haven't eaten it yet, uh, you can have two more. Now, I don't know what you would do. I guess it's obvious, right? You're going to wait and for the two extra marshmallows. Actually, about half the kids, they just can't do it, right? They, they want this marshmallow now because they want, this is real now, and... Those marshmallows, you know, later, they can't handle it. It's a good measure of someone's self-control, right? Uh, it's not just kids. Many adults have the same problem. Uh, certainly in the West, there's uh, lots and lots of debt because people, they buy stuff now and they don't think about, you know, the money you need for later and, and paying it back and those kind of things. We're very short-term, right? It's very easy to look at the present. It's only sometimes when we're really confronted with you know, the, the future. Maybe you live for now and then a family member dies. And suddenly you start thinking about, you know, eternity. You start thinking about your own death and what might happen afterwards. But that's not very common. Now we look at the present and especially if you're a Christian, I don't know what you think of the present. Um, many of us find it tough. The Bible says at least that it's tough to be a Christian. You know, uh, you're serving and you're fighting sin and you're facing the hostility of the world. Uh, there's the stuff you're supposed to do and the stuff you're not allowed to do. And that's not very attractive, right? If you just look at the present, well, who would want to be a Christian? Maybe you're here as a visitor and that's exactly what you think. By the way, uh, the Christian life should feel hard. That's what Jesus said. Uh, Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. 
I, I hope the past you know, six weeks have felt relevant to your life, but maybe you think, well, my life isn't actually very tough. <laughs> it doesn't make any difference being a Christian. I, I think that's a serious problem because Jesus says, uh, it should be, uh, <laughs> this is what we should expect. Uh, are you really fighting sin and are you really speaking up? But, but if we are, yeah, it's tough. Well, we need to look, like a child, we need to look at the long term. We need to look at the future. And that gives us the motivation we need. Uh, there once was a pastor and someone asked him, what would you most like for your congregation? And he said something like, I'd like them to spend 30 minutes in hell. 30 minutes in hell. I mean, if the, that would make them evangelize. That would make them be serious about fighting sin, right? If they just knew what would happen at the end. Well, that's exactly what we're going to do today. Uh, 30 minutes of hell. I'm, I'm not talking about the quality of my sermon. <laughs> that's not what I mean. No, looking at the long term. Because that is what we're, what we're doing here. This is the end of 1 Samuel. Uh, we've been waiting for the kingdom of God that you know, God's King David would bring. Uh, and, and now it's kind of coming. This is the last, almost the climax with David and, and Saul. Uh, David was on the run uh, from the current king, Saul, uh, the people's king. And David said, yeah, we've been encouraged. Come on, we need to join God's king, even though it's hard. But now it's kind of going to end. There's a final confrontation. Although we're in the middle of a, <laughs> middle of a story, it's not going to be a direct confrontation. So what's been happening? Uh, David, after years of running around and hiding, he goes and lives with the Philistines, their arch enemies, uh, in a town called Gath. Uh, they give him his own city because he's got, you know, like two, three thousand people with him, his men, with their families, in a town called Ziglag. But then, as we heard last week, he gets drafted into the Philistine army. He needs to fight his own people, which is a big problem if you're the future king of Israel. Um, well, the armies all get together in a place called Afek over there, and um, the other Philistines, not uh, where he wasn't staying, they, they sent David back. No, he can't go with us. So David then travels south for three days and comes back to his own town, uh, as you heard in chapter 30. Uh, what do the Philistines do? They go north and they camp at a town called uh, Shunem. And that's where we get Saul. Uh, he is encamped in Gilboa, uh, right next to it. Um, he goes to the medium, and then the next day they have this big battle. So this is kind of where it happens. Now, it's very clear, right? David is in Ziklag and Saul is in Gilboa. Clearly, David had nothing to do with Saul's death. It's good to know. But it's interesting how these stories are so mixed up, right? Every week we read David and Saul. And, and they're really mixed up if you uh, look at, at what exactly happens. So here is David, his, the last two days here. Eh? He finds Ziklag raided when he gets there. And then he goes and pursues the Amalekites who stole it. And, and the next day there's this great battle. Eh? A crisis and a battle. Well, Saul's battle is on the same day. If you look at the Hebrew tense of chapter 31, it's exactly at the same time. They're fighting at the same time, which means that the medium, that was the day before, big crisis the day before. So two guys, two kings, both a crisis, both a big battle. You know, uh, David, he was greatly distressed, and David inquired of the Lord. 
How about Saul? Oh, I'm in great distress. He inquired of the Lord. The writer says, put these stories exactly next to each other. He wants us to compare them. He wants us to, to choose. It's a bit like uh, two ways to live. Do you know two ways to live? Is this gospel outline about, you know, uh, uh, God made the world and we've all sinned, but, you know, uh, Jesus died for us. And then at the end, who do you want to be? How do you want to live? You want to go your own way or you want to come back to Jesus? Well, that is what we see here in these two chapters. We see the choice. Which king do you want to follow? And, and, and they're not two kind of similar kings. I, this is not like a tennis match that uh, here's Nadal and here's Federer and they're going fi- uh, you know, to compete and we don't know who's going to win. They're both good. Because one is a really good king and the other, as we'll hope we've seen, is a bad king. And, and it's the crisis that brings that out. That's why it's not just the battles, it's, it's the crisis. I, I don't know about when you face a crisis. Actually, it's, it, that's what really shows what we're like. Maybe you think, well, when everything's calm and peaceful, then you see the real me. And, and here's a crisis. And oh, yeah, yeah, but that, that wasn't really me, that was a crisis. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the crisis brings out the real you. Normally, you can control your image. So we see these two kings. We see their opposite character. And we see their opposite outcome. And who do you want to follow? And it's going to be a real reversal. The persecuted guys become the winners. And the people with the easy, comfortable life, the people in power, they're the losers now. And who do you want to follow? Well, let's look at those two choices. First, uh, the faithful king, David. And you read this story, and you can imagine the distress, right? So they got into this mess. They were supposed to attack Israel. God got them out, relieved. They traveled back for three days, back to their families. 30 verse 3. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. Can you imagine? They're traveling home and, and they've lost everything. And his men were just... David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. You know, these guys, they had joined David. They thought this is God's king. You know, we need to follow him. And so they've been hiding in the mountains and running around the desert. And they that stupid thing of going to the Philistines and the mess they got into. But they followed David. And now they come home and they lost everything. You can imagine, right? This is the straw that, makes the, that breaks the camel's back. They're, they're so... <sighs> you can imagine, right? They lost everything. And they want to stone David. Maybe you feel like that sometimes, right? In your Christian life, so much goes wrong, and just when you think it can't get worse, one more thing, and you, you wonder, God, what are you doing? Well, truly the losing side. But David doesn't give up, right? But David, David found strength in the Lord his God. David, what does it mean? He remembered God's promises. He held on to what he knew of God, what God had said to him. And that strengthened him. He had faith. 
And so, well, let's take action. So he inquired of the Lord, you know, should I go after these guys? And God said, yes, of course, and you'll recover everything. They go out uh, with 600 men. Actually, they've been traveling so much. 200 men are just too exhausted, and they stay with the baggage. But with 400 men, they go out, uh, they come across a slave and who shows them where everything is. And then the big battle, battle. A huge battle. And what happens? Well, a great victory. The faithful king who wins the victory. The next, at night, they attack and they fight the whole day. And they strike them down. The Amalekites, they're old enemies of Israel. They've always been hostile. But a huge battle and a huge army. The fact that, well, they defeated everyone except 400. You know, this is a huge army. But they defeat them and they recover everything. Their wives, their children, their stuff. Uh, lots of other stuff, it's now all theirs, right? It's a huge, massive victory. Imagine what it's like for these guys, right? They left, their, they, they left everything to follow David. They had nothing. And now look at them. They thought they'd lost it all, but they, they've lost nothing. They have their wives back, their children back, their possessions. And in fact, they have much more because the Amalekites, <laughs> they'd raided all over Philistia. They had so much stuff. It's now all theirs. They, they, they had so much, such a massive victory. Uh, wouldn't they just feel, wow, it's worth it. I mean, it's not well done me. It, it's, it's David, right? It's all David. You read this, and it's all David. Huh? Uh, David fought them from dusk till the evening, and David recovered everything, and David brought everything back, and this is David's plunder. It's all David, David, David. David, well, he's the king. God is with him. God's favor rests on him, and he wins it all back, and, and it's wonderful. And, and the thing is, most kings would just then keep everything for themselves, right? Uh, not David. David, he shares it with his people. He wins, and he shares it. Uh, you see that especially when he comes back to these guys at the baggage. Uh, these 200 guys who were too exhausted. And he comes there, very touching. He asks how they are. And uh, then there's some worthless guys who say, well, these guys, they didn't fight. Just give them their wives and kids, but nothing else. What does David say? No, my brothers, you must not do that with what the Lord has given us. He has protected us and delivered into our hands the raiding party that came against us. Who will listen to what you say? The share of the man who stayed with the supplies is to be the same as that of him who went down to the battle. All shall share alike. And what a wonderful, generous king. He's even kind to these worthless guys, right? He says, no, my brothers. He's kind to everyone and generous to everyone. And when he gets home, he sends stuff to his friends. He's generous. He shares. As the kangaroo, he wins and he shares it. And we, we have it. And what a wonderful king, right? Because he is a king here. Look what he does. David made this a statute and ordinance for Israel from that day to this. He's making laws. He's really acting like a king now. From now on, yeah, he is, he's the king, kind of, right? He hasn't been a throat yet, but the suffering is over. He's making laws. He's a generous, wonderful king. And, yeah, that's a picture, right? A picture, David at his best, of Jesus. Jesus, who won the great victory and shares that with us. Uh, eternal life, love, joy, and peace in God's presence one day. That, that, that is what this points to. 
And it makes you just think, look how it ends. It's tough to be a Christian, yes. But, but, but look where it ends. Uh, you've been fighting sin and, and, and facing hostility and, and serving. But, but look where it ends. Look at this wonderful victory. Look at this wonderful blessing. Isn't that, isn't that worth it? I mean, that's what Jesus said, right? Uh, whoever wants to be my disciple, yeah, it's tough. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. One day you'll be there. And, you know, these guys, they don't mind all the suffering anymore. It's over. And they've got, it, they've got everything. And that's what it's going to be like for us. All because of our wonderful King Jesus who gives us everything. The gracious King. Right? Doesn't matter if you stayed with the battle, uh, stayed, went to the battle or stayed with the baggage. By grace, out of love, he gives us everything. Isn't it worth it? Look how it ends. Now, it's a great victory. And, and don't you think Jesus is so... I mean, if, if you think Jesus is harsh and demanding, maybe you're not a Christian, can you see how wonderful he, and generous he is? But, yeah, that's one side. At the same time, there's this other side, right? That's what Jesus said as well. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. And, and for that, we need to look at, well, the faithless king. Next to David, we have Saul. And I, I think Saul, well, have to call him the faithless king. Because the, uh, he faces a crisis. Well, worse crisis, right? The Philistines are coming against him. And he does the right thing, right? He inquires of the Lord. But the Lord did not answer him. By dreams or Urim or prophets. He did not get an answer from God, unlike David. Well, why doesn't God talk to you? Well, because the relationship is broken. Uh, that's very clear in the Bible. God, if God doesn't answer you, the relationship is broken. But what does Saul then do? Well, we heard it last week. He goes to a medium. He goes and, well, he wants to hear from the dead. That's why, where he wants to get his battle advice. Now, some people ask me, maybe it was so confusing last year, can this really happen? Can mediums bring back the dead? If you wonder about it, I, I, I don't think so. You know, if someone is with Christ in, in heaven, can someone, can, does someone on earth have the power to pull this person back? No way. Uh, I, I think mediums is just demons, I think. They, they just, there's demons deceiving people. Although in this case, I think God really did send Samuel back. God can do that. He has the power and the authority. But the thing is, a medium, that's absolutely wrong. It's one of the worst crimes in the Old Testament. It's called the death penalty. What does that say about Saul? Right? My relationship with God is broken. Let me commit one of the worst crimes I can do. That's stupid, right? That's just... What does it show? He really doesn't care about God deep down, doesn't he? You know, he wants advice, but if he doesn't get it from God, I'll just go somewhere else. Imagine a married couple, and then they've fallen out, and there's, you know, no more intimacy. Does he try to, does the husband try to make it right? Does he try to reconcile? Well, he has an affair. Clearly, he's not interested in his wife, right? He's just interested in what she can give. And that's the same with Saul. He, if God doesn't want to talk to you, you should search your heart for your sin. You should repent. 
None of that, right? If you read Samuel, look at Saul. Does he ever really repent? He's done lots of things wrong, and he gets told off, and then he says, yeah, 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 I've sinned. Just give me what I need now. But he never genuinely seeks God, to be honest. He is ultimately yeah, faithless. He, he can look religious. He can do the religious thing. But when it comes down to it, I, I'm not sure if he was a believer. Unlike David, who, who did things wrong, but ultimately he turned to God. But look where that ends. Here is the king. And Samuel, last week we heard it. Samuel comes and says... He's doomed. He and his sons will die. Israel will lose. And yeah, the faithless king who dies rejected. And chapter 31 was so tragic, right? How the Philistines come and the Israelites fled and many of them die. Uh, Saul is wounded. His sons are killed. Uh, He ends up committing suicide even because he's so wounded he doesn't want to fall in Philistine hands. Maybe they'll torture him, whatever. Such a sad ending, right? Uh, for Saul, it's even worse. Even after he dies, it's not enough, right? Because here come the Philistines. The next day when the Philistines came to strip the dead, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. They cut off his head and stripped off his armor, and they sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim the news in the temple of their idols and among their people. They put his armor in the temple of the Ashtarephs and fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. It was a pretty brutal age, of course, but this is how Saul gets humiliated, right? Hung up in shame. The king who dies rejected. And it's so sad, because he had a good start. You know, when first he became king, God used him. He saved a city called Jabesh Gilead. And, and those guys then come and they, they raid and they, they take his body and give it a proper burial. They remember what he did for them, but after that... All downhill, and now, yeah, the faithless king who dies. And in some sense, that's, that's necessary, right? So if David is to be king, yeah, Saul needs to go. But it's very sad. Although the terrible thing, though, is it's not just him. Saul is doomed, but the thing is, he shares it with his people. Just like David, the kangaroo goes two ways. Because is it just Saul who dies? Well, no. Many soldiers die. His sons die, right? Uh, Verse 6. So Saul and his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men died together that same day. Not just Saul, but all his men. And even the people of Israel, right? When the Israelites along the valley and those across the Jordan saw that the Israelite army had fled... And that Saul and his sons had died, they abandoned their towns and fled. And the Philistines came and occupied them. And these many people died. And many people who were with Saul, well, they lost everything. They, they were living comfortably in their houses. Easy life. They lost everything. Now, this sounds maybe unfair, you do need to remember, it was their own fault. They, Saul was their king ultimately because they chose him. Uh, you may, may, I don't know if you remember that from two years ago. In the first half of the book, there's, there's a big focus. Look, 
Saul was the wrong king, but they chose him anyway. Samuel told them, you have now rejected your God who saves you out of all your disasters and calamities. And you have said, no, appoint a king over us. The people rejected God. They wanted a king instead of God. And they chose Saul. And that comes back to haunt them. They chose the wrong king. They chose a king who didn't trust God because they didn't trust God. And now, yeah, they suffer the consequences. They lose. Uh, but So these are not just nice people who happened to choose a very good king, but it happened to, he, uh, it happened to be the wrong one. No, they, they, did, they rejected God and they, they suffered. And that's important because, of course, this chapter points to this other eternal reality, to eternal judgment, to, to hell. People who lose everything, yeah. The second death, eternally forsaken. But that's not just people who betted on the wrong horse. People who were really nice and good, they just happened to be a Muslim rather than a Christian or something like that. No, this is people who've rejected God, eh? who said, no, thanks, God, I'm much better off without you. I can do it myself. And, and we can't. And so when God makes his perfect kingdom, there's no place. And it is important to see. Eh? And if you're not a Christian, this is what you are facing. You are facing chapter 31, not because... You're really nice, but just not a Christian. No, because we've all rejected God. And actually, that's for all of us, right? I'm not here because I'm so good. It's just Jesus' generosity and his love that has welcomed, well, if you're a Christian, has welcomed Christians back, has welcomed people back. Because Jesus wants you to be on his side. He wants you back, right? And that's not about being good. No, he offers you forgiveness at incredible cost. You know, he died on the cross for, uh, f- to bring us back. And uh, do you know what that cost him? J- just look at Saul. You know, you see Saul here, what he was facing. It's just a small picture of what Jesus faced, right? When Jesus approached the cross, he was in, in terrible distress. He was afraid. He was kind of, Father, please take this from me. When he was hanging on the cross, he cried out to his father. No answer. Right? Just like Saul, no answer because he had taken all our sin and, and, and so his father became his enemy in a way and he faced that forsakenness. He was forsaken all alone without God. And then, yeah, his body hung up in shame with all his enemies celebrating that Jesus took chapter 31 because he loves you and he wants you to have chapter 30. He wants to offer that to you. So he's asking, please give me your sin and I'll pay for it and, and you can have my victory. And please, if you are not a Christian, you, you need this. But, but for, for Christians, you see this chapter and again, look how it ends. And these men who were with David, I'm pretty sure they were tempted to go back, Right? hiding in caves, and they just thought, if I just go back to Seoul, I can just live at home on my farm, I'll be happy, life is easy and comfortable. And now you see this, and don't they think, wow, I'm so glad I wasn't with Saul. I'm so glad I chose to follow David. Well, you see this and you should think, 
I'm so glad that we follow Jesus. Uh, it can be so easy to, to give it up, right? Maybe this sin, and you don't want to keep fighting it. It's going to just indulge. It's going to just give it all up. Maybe you're in a Muslim country. I don't know if Friday you went to this uh, Stand Asia thing about uh, what it's like in Iran. Right? You can have such a comfortable life if you just say that uh, there's no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet, and you can have your life back. So tempting. But it's not worth it, right? Not if you face an eternity without God. Uh, we need to stand firm. They need to stand firm. Uh, that, that, that's what the Bible says. Look how it ends. Whatever it costs, look at the ends. All the things of this world will not weigh up against that. And so Jesus and Hebrews and Peter and Paul and James, they all say, look to the end. Look at how it ends. Look at the glories with Jesus and, and look at the faith of those who are not with him and, and keep going. So yeah, as we finish this series, lots to think about, lots to reflect on. Yeah, but please do that the coming weeks, the coming maybe this afternoon. Just take some time and, and then think, what do you find the hardest about following Jesus? Uh, what do you find most attractive about not following Jesus? And uh, what has God said in 1 Samuel that can help you keep going? Just, even over lunch, trying to talk about some of these questions. But yeah, let's... Yeah, I hope you see the choice, right? Two kings, who will you follow? So let's take a moment already to reflect now as the music team comes up. And then I'll lead us in prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being so clear with us. Thank you for showing us the future, showing us the glories of being with you forever. And the alternative, Father, we, you know how each of us finds it tough to live for you. Please motivate us. Please strengthen us. Give us faith that we would hold on to what you say. And whatever the cost may be here in Hong Kong, elsewhere, would we keep living for you and not give up. Uh, help us to keep each other going. Encourage each other with these words, with the eternity that Jesus won for us so completely undeserved on the cross. So, Father, yeah, help us to reflect. Help us to take this to heart.